When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. so that you, each student is measured according to the um, advancement that they're making in each subject area. Well, that's growth. That's not proficiency. So in other words, the growth they're making is in When growth. Betsy DeVos was tapped to be the new United States Secretary of Education in 2016, we were all forced to sit through some of the most mind-boggling confirmation hearings that have ever occurred. Well, I'm not that surprised that you did not know this issue. Mr. DeVos, your family has a long history of supporting anti-LGBT Clearly, at least to most people, this was not someone meant for this job. Her lack of experience, funding of private charter schools, and advocation for guns in schools in case of potential grizzlies didn't exactly scream as an excellent choice. But if you dig a little deeper into the DeVos family, you start to understand how someone so ill-equipped for this job got the nod. Betsy, who grew up in a wealthy family of her own, married into the DeVos family in 1979. The marriage merger, as I love to call it, brought two of the most powerful families in Michigan, the Prince family and the DeVos family, together. For the next few decades, their power showed and would cast a massive shadow. If you looked at virtually every right-wing organization, from think tanks to colleges to Republican candidates themselves, you are sure to see one of the two family names in the background. While the Prince family fortune came from manufacturing companies, the DeVos family empire was built on the backs of distributors through a massive MLM company. Together, the two families pulled their money and their overwhelming influence to disseminate their ideals and make the United States and Michigan in particular bend to their political wills. Over the years, the DeVos family has funded the Family Research Council, the Heritage Foundation, and Focus on the Family. Their deeply entrenched Christian values seem to be their guiding principles. On occasion, they did invest in good causes, but their money seemed primarily to be used to fund entities that forever changed the conversations in the United States and the political spectrum, and not exactly for the best. In their home state of Michigan, the DeVos family has been called a force unlike any other family. They single-handedly out-contributed the combined fundraising for the state's biggest PACs, donating $3.5 million in just 2015 alone. They were the biggest advocates for the spread of charter schools in the state and advocated primarily for freedom of choice in Michigan's education system. Only there was just a small problem. These choices weren't the best quality and repeatedly underperformed academically while simultaneously overpaying underexperienced superintendents. The education system as a whole has been called deeply dysfunctional and it's mostly thanks to the special lobbying power of one of the most powerful families in the United States. Through political funding, careful investments, and worrisome ideals, the DeVos family has become a formidable force in the United States. But how exactly did we get here? And what is the real story behind the family that holds so much power? What exactly have they been up to all this time? And that is why we stand together today and give thanks for Rich DeVos. His life is a testament to the promise of America and the blessings of freedom invested billions and billions and billions of dollars from the federal level, and we have seen zero results. But that really isn't true. But it surprises me that you don't know this issue. 
And Mr. Chairman, I think this is a good reason for us to have more questions. Because this is a very important subject, education, our kids' education. Hello and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati and today we're going to be talking about one of the most influential families within the world of business and politics, the DeVos family. And sure, it's probably likely that you haven't really thought much about them prior to Betsy being spontaneously appointed as the United States Secretary of Education by the Trump administration. But the truth of the situation here is that Betsy and her outrageously wealthy family have been deeply entrenched in business and politics since the early 1950s. So that might help explain the appointment a little bit more, but we'll get into that. Let's start off today's episode by discussing the very business that started the rapid growth of the DeVos family fortune, Amway. The retailer, Amway. They don't have stores, just the best people and products. Amway, big on quality. In 1959, Rich DeVos, who Politico calls a boundlessly charismatic man, which ironically is a descriptor used for dictators, he started the company as a tiny little soap business. He and his partner would soon grow the company into a multi-billion dollar conglomerate that relied on independent distributors to sell its products, which nowadays ranges from pretty much anything from vitamins, makeup, energy drinks, basically anything you can think of, Amway probably sells a version of it. And that's right, we have somehow miraculously fallen into a two-for-one type episode with multi-level marketing scams mixed in with some shady business dealings and horrific political practices. Yay for us. But Amway isn't just your typical MLM. Rich DeVos and his business partner quickly turned it into a massive company that had nearly $7 billion in sales by 1989 and over 1 million distributors selling their products. As distributors spent their days attempting to make as many sales as possible to meet their financial goals against all odds, DeVos was chilling, making something off of every single little sale. Of course, their products were mostly just knockoffs sold under an Amway name, but who cares about that when you're making billions of dollars? But again, when you are making that much money and have the sheer amount of distributors that Amway amassed, people are bound to take notice. And usually not the ones the company wants to be dealing with. In Amway's case in particular, their notoriety came with some special attention from one of our all-time favorite entities with just a hint of sarcasm there, but the FTC. In 1975, the FTC accused Amway of being a pyramid scheme. Their accusations were pretty severe and ranged from Amway restricting distributors' sources and supplies, their advertising, and of course, misrepresenting the income. That all definitely sounds pretty par for the course in the world of MLMs, however, After a lengthy four-year investigation, the FTC found that Amway was in fact not a pyramid scheme by the skin of their teeth. According to the FTC, Amway differed in several ways from pyramid schemes that the commission had challenged. It did not charge an upfront headhunting or large investment fee from new recruits, nor did it promote inventory loading by requiring distributors to buy large volumes of non-returnable inventory. Just because they weren't technically a pyramid scheme, though it definitely seemed to resemble the shape of a triangle, that doesn't mean the company didn't have new rules that they would have to follow to avoid any legal repercussions in the future. They had to do a couple of things like stop misrepresenting their profits, earnings, and sales. They had to print a disclaimer on the suggested retail price and stop retail price fixing. So it wasn't all roses and butterflies for the company, but they came out looking a lot better than they could have and changed the face of the MLM world forever. As Jeff Babiner put it, had Amway lost, MLM history after 1979 may have been non-existent. Amway's victory paved the way for hundreds of MLM companies that would follow. So yeah, again, thank you so much Amway for paving the way for 
hundreds of thousands of shitty other fucking companies. But of course, this would not mark the end of legal trouble for the company or for its founders. Only four years after this first big lawsuit, they were hit with another. This time, it was for criminal tax fraud. In 1983, the Supreme Court of Ontario found the company guilty of criminal fraud and tax evasion after it was found that they had been making up fake and fictitious invoices and a dummy corporation to build their wealth. They found that Amway had defrauded Canada of an astounding $28 million. As a response, they were slapped with a $25 million fine, the largest in Canadian history at that time. Despite the massive hit to their reputation and their pockets, the founders seemed relatively unfazed. In fact, on the same day that the decision was made, the two owners ran advertisements in over four different American news sources and sent letters to their distributors trying to explain the situation. But they didn't really do a good job of explaining it at all. Instead, they just tried their best to make themselves look good. And oh my God, I have re-recorded this sentence so many times. I know I'm like, whatever, whatever. Cause it's, a, it's like the founders pleaded guilty, but I keep saying the flounders. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing that today. The flounders, the fish founders, they pleaded guilty to charges is the point I'm trying to get at. The point is these two pleaded guilty. And then they sent out a bunch of letters and ads to make it look like the charges had been merely dropped when that's not the reality of the situation. They took no public responsibility. And instead they blamed the advice of corporate officers for the mix up with the law. Then they included this statement regarding the founders' decisions. They chose to make a tremendous personal and financial sacrifice in order to end the ordeal and eliminate this impediment to the future growth and potential of the business. They chose to make this sacrifice by settling now and thus preserving the Amway business opportunity for millions of individuals. And just like that, the company's PR made it seem like employees and distributors should be grateful to the very people who were committing criminal acts and defrauding millions of people. I've read a lot of PR statements in my time, and this one has to be one of the best acts of reframing I've seen ever. Like, no, we didn't pay money because we're guilty. No way, we paid money to save the company. What a personal sacrifice. Unsurprisingly, this worked. Amway was barely impacted by the massive scandal and they just kept right on pushing. And today Amway's sales are still in the billions of dollars per year. This was just the beginning of the DeVos fortune. And despite every scandal, they continued to grow and gain more power. And you know, like any good family empire, they spent a lot of their time making smart investments in new companies, but some of them definitely seem just a little bit shady. When you work to change things and first they think you're crazy, then they fight you. And that she was making hundreds of millions of dollars. During the trial this week, a DeVos representative testified that the family originally invested $50 million. Now, I'm sure we all remember Elizabeth Holmes. You know, the woman who allegedly invented a new way to test diseases before everyone figured out that it was a complete and total sham. As you may or may not know, she recently was actually convicted of fraud and was ordered to spend over 11 years in prison. Of course, she is appealing and it's going to continue to be a whole drawn out thing. But the story of Elizabeth Holmes and her Theranos scandal got a lot deeper during the trial. For one thing, we learned who the people who were invested in the unproven technology were. And wouldn't you know it, the DeVos family was one of those investors. During the trial, many were shocked to learn that the family office had invested an astonishing $100 million into the company. In 2014, the family, one of America's richest, decided to ask a representative from their investment office, Lisa Peterson, to look into Theranos. Of course, she obliged, and after being convinced that Theranos would be the best thing since sliced bread and the family met Elizabeth themselves, they decided to double their original investment from 50 million to 100 million. 
And my God, do I wish I just had money to throw around like that. Like I never will, but my God, to just throw around like an extra 50 million because like YOLO apparently or whatever, like wild. Sometimes I'm just like, money isn't even real anymore when you can just throw that much around, but I digress. Now, of course, Lance Wade, the defense lawyer for Elizabeth Holmes, claimed that the DeVos family had not properly done their due diligence, which let's be honest, they probably didn't. In fact, Peterson seemed to basically admit that they didn't while on stand. And when she said, we didn't think we needed it. Unfortunately, this would turn out to be a mistake as we all know now. I'm not entirely blaming the family for this decision. Elizabeth Holmes scammed a whole bunch of people and we're not really gonna victim blame people who've been scammed out of money here. But it does bring me to a pretty big question that needs some answering. What else exactly has the DeVos family been investing in? Obviously, I can't physically go through all of it considering the family invests a lot and I'm sure probably hides or, you know, kind of, you know, quiets a lot of it down, but we'll go through a few of the most concerning ones that I found. One of which is the family stake in the supposed healthcare company called Universal Health Services. Back in 2016, Buzzfeed released an article after a grueling year-long investigation into the company, revealing some of its questionable behavior. UHS is home to the largest psychiatric hospital chain in the country with over 200 facilities and 450,000 patients. In total, they were making about $7.5 billion back in 2016. And in case you're wondering, that number ballooned to a little over $11 billion in 2019. But even with all that money, they've faced a plethora of scandals. In 2011, a report in Chicago found that one of their hospitals had woefully inadequate staffing levels and continuously failed to train any of their staff who once again were meant to be taking care of psychiatric patients. As if that wasn't bad enough, they also had a tendency to admit more patients than they actually had beds for. This wasn't just in Chicago either. The report found similar circumstances in about a dozen other states. But as per usual, there's always more. In order to maximize financial profits, UHS hospitals put immense pressure on their staff to fill their beds by almost any method. So how did they do this, you might ask? Well, by exaggerating people's symptoms or twisting their words to make them seem suicidal and hold them until their insurance payments ran out. And how lovely is that, honestly, right? Isn't that just charming? One former clinician told BuzzFeed, your job is to get patients and you get them however you get them. Others said their patient emissions were monitored almost like they were car salesmen. And as terribly fucked up as all of that sounds, it's not all because there's always more. Just for good measure, the company was also under investigation for Medicare fraud. So clearly they denied all the allegations and admitted to doing nothing wrong. But all in all, it doesn't necessarily sound like a corporation you'd really want to invest in. Did that stop the DeVos family? Well, of course it didn't. And this also wasn't the first time they had invested in a questionable healthcare company either. In the year 2000, the family business invested $200 million in the Altera Healthcare Corporation. This was a chain of assisted living facilities, which paid more than $15 million in wrongful death suits from 1999 until it went bankrupt in 2003. Then there's Betsy DeVos's concerning investing in the company Performant Recovery Incorporated. And what is that you might ask? Well, it's a company that had a giant contract with the Department of Education to go after student borrowers who had defaulted on their loans. By the end of 2016, they were in charge of about $458 million in defaulted loans. And considering Betsy's appointment, this investment isn't great to hear. When you're one of America's richest families, there's bound to be some shady investments happening in the background, but that's not all for the family who built their fortune on the backs of other people's work. 
If their investments aren't concerning enough, there are of course their political affiliations and their never ending tendency to control virtually everything and everyone they can get their hands on or their money on if we're being more accurate here. The DeVos family's involvement in politics is one that spans multiple decades and it's quite interesting. Over time, the family has invested nearly $200 million into the GOP. They've supported candidates since the 1970s, but it's not just the politicians the family supports, it's their policies, values, and ideals. For years, the DeVos family has actually been involved in pushing ultra-conservative ideals that overwhelmingly benefited themselves rather than others in the state of Michigan and the entire United States as a whole. Way back in 1999, Betsy DeVos's father, Edgar Prince, was reveling in his success after creating a manufacturing empire. What did he decide to do with it, you might ask? Well, he decided to contribute to the Family Research Council. And wouldn't you know it, Richard DeVos got involved as well. Through the years, the Richard and Helen DeVos Foundation was a major contributor to both Focus on the Family and the Family Research Council. I've covered both of these a few times, but in case you're unaware, both foundations are huge evangelical organizations that actively lobby against LGBTQ rights. They have a ridiculous pull in American politics and spend millions of dollars every year releasing false studies against LGBTQ people to drive a hateful homophobic and transphobic narrative. In 1999, when FRC staffers were openly pushing the narrative, gaining access to children has been a long-term goal of the homosexual movement, Edgar and Richard seemed to believe that this was the exact type of messaging they wanted to invest in and gave an abundance of money to the organization. For the record, these types of comments are one of the key reasons the group was put on the Southern Poverty Law Center's hate group watch list, where it remains to this day. So they invested in building the home office for a hate group. Now, over the years, the DeVosses developed a massive influence in right-wing politics, donating to the Heritage Foundation, the Collegiate Studies Institute, and the Council on National Policy. All of these have been front runners in producing conservative publications, ideals, and politicians. That last one, the Council on National Policy, according to the Times, is a little known club of a few hundred of the most powerful conservatives in the country. Not only were they contributing to organizational and publication powerhouses, but their influence ran all the way up to the presidency. Keeping our economy strong and free from the terrible inflation of a few years ago will bring stability into the lives of those just beginning In 1980, the family was a huge contributor to the Reagan campaign, helping him get elected to his presidency. Their relationship ran so deep that Richard DeVos was even named the financial chair of the Republican National Committee. That is until he was convicted of criminal tax fraud and was removed from his position two years later. Of course, that didn't stop the family from spreading millions of dollars to enhance the conservative party. They just kept right on going and right on giving. According to Mother Jones, since the 1970s, the family has, quote, helped fund nearly every prominent Republican running for national office and underwritten a laundry list of conservative campaigns on issues ranging from charter schools and vouchers to anti-gay marriage and anti-tax ballot measures. To them, these decades of political contributions weren't just out of the kindness of their sweet little old cold frozen fucking hearts, but it was an investment. They weren't just donating because they liked the causes as atrocious as that is on its own, but because they wanted something back too. Betsy DeVos herself even admitted this in 1997 when she responded to accusations that her family was buying influence by saying this. I have decided to stop taking offense at the suggestion that we are buying influence. Now I simply concede the point. They are right. We do expect something in return. We expect to foster a conservative governing philosophy consisting of limited government and respect for traditional American virtues. We expect a return on our investment. 
safe to say they got that return. And I just find it funny that they openly admit to buying politicians and then the Republicans are over there like, no, we're the party of America and freedom and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you all turn on your fucking bellies and scratch your little fucking feet in the air like dogs for a couple dollar bills. Like get the fuck out of here. Now, it seemed when the DeVos family said jump, members of the conservative party asked how high, regardless of the results. Then Dick DeVos, and I love it when people have this name, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. Now, Dick DeVos lost his bid for governor of Michigan in 2007, and he blamed his loss on one group in particular, the unions. Never mind the fact that he seemingly pushed for creationism to be taught in school science programs, but his loss was clearly to the unions. So in response, he began to push for a right to work law, which if you don't know, usually takes away an abundance of rights for working people and the unions that are meant to support them. Dick DeVos and allies sprang into action, creating 15 pages of talking points and ads pushing this idea. Allegedly, they even bribed, and yes, bribed, Republican lawmakers with campaign contributions and threatened those who didn't agree to vote for the legislation that he would run his own candidates against them in the next election. Safe to say, his plan worked. Six years later, he got his paycheck and the bill was passed, making Michigan one of the newest right-to-work states in the country. The DeVos family's influence runs deep and somehow they seem to have thrived relatively in the background since the 1970s. While everyone and their fucking mother knows about the influence of the Koch brothers, everyone has written and talked about them forever and ever and ever, the DeVos family seems to have just as much pull and they've done it in relative darkness. That is of course until 2016. Then they were catapulted into the limelight by one key event. And before we talk about Betsy DeVos and becoming directly involved in politics, thanks to, you know, of course, Mr. Trumpy Wumpy, we're gonna take a moment to thank today's sponsors because I do not have mommy and daddy's family money in order to live my life. So um, I still have to make a living doing stuff. So thank you so much uh, for today's sponsors. Let's get into the ads. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, then why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. You know that I've been using Mint Mobile at this point for over two years, and it has been one of the best choices I ever made. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can bring your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in minutes with eSIM. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, make sure you go to mintmobile.com slash Casper. It's mintmobile.com slash Casper. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Casper. Here's some gentle reminders for the new year. Make sure to check in with yourself before offering to help someone else. Rest when you need rest and ask for what you need. And say yes to more things that make you feel good. Transport your mind to a world where you can relax and treat yourself to your deepest desires with Dipsy. Because here's a question for you. What's your love language? Is it physical touch? How about quality time that you spend with your partner? Well, the truth is people get turned on in all sorts of ways. And Dipsy has invented a whole new love language with sexy stories for whatever mood you're in. And that's because Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. And Dipsy also offers soothing sleep stories, wellness session, and sexy stories you can read if that's more of your thing too. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com casket. 
That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash casket, dipseastories.com slash casket. And let me just say that your characterization of contributions, I don't think accurately reflects those of my family. Um, now back to little Betsy Wetsy DeVossi Wassy. Now, all of this, all of the decades of political involvement, investments, and running a massive MLM company boiled down to one thing. Betsy DeVos got one of the most important roles in American politics. When Betsy was announced to be the nominee for the United States Secretary of Education, it's likely that a lot of people were unaware of her family's reputation. With a background in investing and in sketchy educational institutions and absolutely no real background in public education, Betsy's nomination came with a plethora of questions like, why? Well, remember that whole return on her investment quote? This was it. This was the ultimate return on their investment. Their influence was no longer just monetary, it was hands-on. This was real power, the power to make decisions themselves rather than through others. The confirmation hearings kicked off and it was sure to be an insane future four years. Betsy's overwhelming support for charter schools left teachers concerned and her stance on the handling of sexual assault claims in colleges was worrying to say the least. Then of course, there was the matter of her husband's support for creationism being taught in science curriculums. That definitely left a bad taste in many people's mouths. Even the final vote was eventful. Pence had to come in to break a tie. But when she was eventually confirmed, the country knew it was in for a wild ride and oh boy, we were right. Betsy's tenure was certainly full of scandal and controversy as she made moves that left an abundance of the general public seething. In the public eye, Betsy DeVos was a billionaire who somehow made her way into this important role purely to destroy the public education system. As her tenure went on, this is exactly what it seemed like she was doing too. In the first budget proposed by DeVos, she attempted to eliminate every single summer school program, according to Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers. She developed a plan to utilize the federal tax code to support private schools, not public schools, and at one point proposed billions of dollars in federal spending cuts to her own agency. Most of which, by the way, cut programs that supported after-school activities in impoverished communities, grants for textbooks and mental health services. According to her, the elimination program was meant to curtail thinly spread funding that wasn't effective on any particular thing. Just casually ignore the fact that most of the budget was reallocated to supporting private schools or how it also gave a $5 billion tax credit to help children attend private schools. Obviously her proposal to cut the budget, particularly in areas that helped schools that were already underfunded and underserved, didn't go over well with a whole host of folks. Representative Rosa DeLorio called the budget cruel and reckless. Even a Republican conservative, Tom Cole, said they were somewhat short-sighted. Considering the amount of pull the DeVos family has with Republicans, even this teeny tiny amount of pushback is relatively shocking. However, DeVos's budgets weren't her only problem. Her attack on the Title IX laws certainly brought an abundance of attention too. Back in 2011, the Obama administration revamped Title IX rules in an attempt to quote, resolve an epidemic of complaints of sexual assault and harassment. Betsy, on the other hand, was having none of that. Under her rules, students that wanted to report assault or harassment would have to submit a formal and signed complaint to teachers or employees. The accused were entitled to trial-like follow-ups and were allowed to engage their accusers through lawyers or advocates. Many, the new rules proposed by DeVos's department felt like something that would make reporting harder for survivors and limit their protections. Additionally, the rules didn't seem to consider K through 12 educators in the slightest. How exactly were they supposed to hold trials? 
Not shockingly, the draft brought in an astounding 124,000 public comments. Attorney and Title IX consultant Brent Sokolow predicted the new regulations would lead to systemic failure within years and said, I think the system potentially collapses under the weight of the litigation that comes from this. Thankfully, the Biden administration has rolled back many of the rules that came with this, but that doesn't make me any less pissed off that it happened in the first place. The perpetrators had already all of the protections that they needed. Title IX was meant to protect survivors from ever having to confront the people they were accusing or from having to go through the horrific treatment survivors usually have to face by forbidding any questions about their past sexual history. Making a formal trial a requirement of harassment or assault allegations inherently obliterates these protections. And we can't forget the one time that good old Betsy was literally held in contempt of court, an insane thing to say about the education secretary of the United States. In 2019, she was fined $100,000 after she violated a federal order to stop collecting student loans from people that attended Corinthian colleges. And you know, those are the same schools that had to close in 2015 after the education department found that it was lying about its job placement rates and its ability for students to transfer credits. Yeah, that, that one, good, good stuff. And rightfully so, those students weren't supposed to be paying shit, but did that stop Betsy from trying to take their money? Of course not. Betsy loved herself some student loan companies and a pesky little federal order wasn't going to stop her apparently. The DeVos administration was certainly full of disappointment, but it's not like it hurt her or her family in the slightest. This was just a fun little activity for a couple years for them. While she was in charge of the department, she just kept on earning. In one year, she earned roughly $45 million off of her investments and earnings from Amway stocks. Her government earnings were literally the least of her concerns or cares. While you would hope her abysmal performance as the secretary of education would weaken the family's influence in politics, it seems to have actually done the opposite. They seem just as involved as ever. And all of this, remember, stems from one shitty MLM. But with that being said, that is unfortunately where we're ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I really do appreciate you joining me all the way to the very end. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Bye. I am really grateful for this opportunity to commemorate the life of an extraordinary American and a friend, Rich DeVos. Rich befriended many presidents over the years and one I know quite well. You call him 41, I call him dad. Sends his love to the DeVos family. As does Laura. Sadly, she can't be here today, but she wanted me to make sure